What is up, my friends and fellow busy bees? I hope you're all having a great week filled with good food, lots of laughs, time to relax, and are surrounded by people you love. Because, well, that's pretty much what I aim for in my day to day. We are back with part two of this series going over mistakes you can avoid on your furniture makeovers, where I walk you through newbie mistakes I made early on in my furniture refinishing journey and let you know how you can avoid making them for yourself. If you haven't listened to episode 42, make sure you hop on over there after this because I outline my first five mistakes that you'll definitely want to tune into. This week's compilation of mistakes conveniently breaks down into two categories, mistakes surrounding sanding and mistakes surrounding painting. So let's hop right on in. The first mistake that I made was pushing down and applying force when sanding using my electric sanders. This was an oopsie that I made a lot early on when I first started furniture flipping, in part because I didn't really know what was normal to expect in terms of the sander eating through the finish and just how long that that should take, and also in part because I'm impatient. (laughs) So if the finish wasn't immediately getting eaten away, I would apply some pressure to the sander until I saw it really disintegrating what I was trying to plow through. If you didn't already know, with electric sanders, you are to put it against the finish, but there is no need to apply pressure or push on the sander. It'll do the job just fine without it. And so there were two negative outcomes that came from this incorrect method of using it. First, I ate through a lot of veneer early on from doing that. Since pieces of veneer are so thin and typically rather delicate if they're older and dried out, they're really easy to damage or eat completely through in some spots if you're using an electric sander and also pushing it down. Particularly along the edges, those were my kryptonite. At the time, I was using an orbital sander too, so it really would just blow right through that veneer when it was in that spot for not very long. I typically stick with my Surf Prep 3x4 electric ray sander these days, which does help to avoid that in addition to not pushing down on it. But when I do pick up an orbital sander, I always try to make sure I'm not working with veneer just to be on the safe side to avoid that happening again. Because depending on how much veneer you go through and what the piece looks like, that can make the difference of having to switch up your entire design plan if you were planning on staining the piece, but the mistake you make is a difficult repair, so you end up having to paint the piece, or at least a portion of that piece. The other thing that happened when I would push down on that orbital sander is that I actually ended up breaking the sander completely. That added pressure was hard on the little motor inside it, but I also ended up eating up the Velcro pad part on the face of the sander. So then the sandpaper pads weren't able to stick to the surface properly. And once I would turn it on and it would start spinning, it would be like a ninja star looking to take out someone's eye or slice your leg and just go flying across the room. So that was pretty unideal. And it also meant that I ruined my first sander that I had bought, which was a cute little Hitachi that I got on sale at Home Hardware. But like I said, these days I only really use the orbital sander when working on solid wood pieces or those that I know has a really thick finish that I need to work through that the orbital will help to speed the process up on. But even still, in those cases, I'll typically start out with scraping what I can off anyways. So I typically only need to do some quick touch-ups with the 3x4 sander afterwards. So beware, no need to push down on your sanders, ladies and gentlemen. 
Another sanding-related mistake I made when I was new to furniture flipping was not switching my sandpaper out often enough for them to be optimally effective. Again, this was simply due to the fact that I hadn't seen anyone specifically mention when it's ideal to switch this part out because it's such a tiny detail that nobody would think to mention it in the tutorial videos that I had been endlessly binging. But turns out, important little thing to know. At the beginning, I was also really weary of spending too much on products and supplies for my projects because I wanted to keep my profit margins high and I also wasn't charging near enough for the pieces that I was selling. And if that's something you feel that you're also struggling with, I would definitely recommend you check out episode 12 called Pricing Your Painted and Refinished Furniture, as well as episode 14 called Keeping Supply Costs Down for Your Furniture Makeover. So I would keep using these sandpaper pads well past the point of them actually being the grit that they stated because it had basically all been sanded away already and or the sandpaper pad would be so gummed up from the finish or maybe even some leftover dirt and grime. So it would basically just be like buffing the piece at that point instead of sanding it. These days I'm stopping to check the sandpaper much more often to see where it's at and if I should switch it out for a fresh piece, and if I find I'm sanding but not a whole lot of the finish is coming off like it should or like it was earlier on in that sanding session, I'll just err on the side of caution and switch it out. That leads me to my third mistake that I made early on in my journey upcycling furniture that I recommend avoiding, which is that I used to throw those pieces of sandpaper away after they were off of the sander or if they were no longer sticking properly to the sander's pad due to dust getting kicked up in between the two items before I had the shop vac hooked up to my sander. Hang on to that sandpaper. I have a basket that I'll now throw those pieces in and they are perfect to have on hand for when I need to do hand sanding, particularly when you need to fold up the sandpaper to work it into the grooves or maybe get at a beveled edge of a table or something like that. The sandpaper may be like a bit worn down from the grit that it previously stated it was, but often it will still work great in this context. And then you're not having to fold up a perfectly good piece of new sandpaper just to do some of that grunt work. If you have pieces that have gotten gummed up, like I mentioned before, and have basically what looks like little polka dots of grime or dirt built up on them, I'll just grab one of my little metal scrapers and scrape off what I can while it's on the sandpaper, or sorry, while it's on the sander, and that usually will get rid of the chunks, so then it's still perfectly usable for another project or two. We're all for upcycling and using secondhand things after all. And if you're someone who has had the thought that you might want to try having a business or a side hustle selling your furniture makeovers, you are in the right place, my friend. I came from the world of social work and victimology, so I had absolutely no idea what to do when I decided I wanted to start a business doing furniture painting and refinishing. So if that sounds like you and you're like, what am I supposed to be doing and how does this all work? I don't have a business background. I got you. I put together a free guide and checklist for starting your own furniture refinishing business so you can get started today and follow a step-by-step -step roadmap so you don't have to miss anything important. I also recommend this for anyone who found themselves unexpectedly running a business selling their refinished furniture because that's often what happens. You do a couple pieces for your own home and then maybe do a couple for friends and then you get convinced to sell them and then bam, you're a business owner and didn't even know it. 
So if that is you, I also think you'll really benefit from this to make sure that you've ticked off all the boxes and aren't missing anything you ought to be implementing. So check out the show notes of today's episode for the link or go to my website meldidherself.ca to download the free guide and checklist today and let's get you started on the right foot. So now let's jump into the last two mistakes for you to avoid making that I struggled with early on in my furniture journey, which specifically have to do with painting. Now, when I first started doing this as a hobby and trying out a few small pieces, I got my hands on some chalk paint. I was able to get it from my local hardware store. A lot of the people I was watching do this work online were choosing it as their paint of choice. And because it was available at the beginning of the pandemic, when like absolutely nothing was available, it just made sense to me. But since I was new to using that type of paint, I really didn't know how to ensure I made it look as good as it could. I found that when I would apply it and try and get it to cover the things I was painting, it would often end up looking kind of textured and the finish wouldn't be as smooth and flawless as I had hoped. This is why I ended up doing a lot of farmhouse looking pieces early on because I would just distress it and make it look intentionally textured and worn like that was part of the design. And a lot of the pieces ended up looking nice in the end, but again, they just weren't the smooth look that I was trying to achieve. There's two things I should have been doing differently and are things that I now do when using chalk paint on my pieces. Firstly, watering down the paint a bit. Chalk paint is much more thick than most other types of paint, and so it can have a tendency to go on much thicker and more textured if you just apply it directly to the piece. I find that is particularly true with cans that you have previously used and have been sitting for a bit after having been exposed to air because it tends to thicken them up a little bit more over time. What I found to be most effective is to take however much you think you will need for your project and put it in a separate container and add just like a teaspoon of water at a time, mix it into the paint and keep doing that until it's a more thin consistency that is a little bit more workable. The second thing I should have done differently was not aim to achieve full coverage on the piece right from the get-go. Watering the paint down helps with this a bit anyways, but the reason I was getting so much texture is because I was always applying so much paint on each layer, so it was adding more product than was needed. Instead, I now have my watered down paint and I'll do multiple thin, even coats and let the piece dry thoroughly in between in order to build up that coverage over time. Lightly sanding with a high grit sandpaper in between each coat also helps to ensure that you're keeping the texture out of your finish and getting that smooth, even look that I had been aiming for before. We live and we learn. What can I say? The last mistake to avoid making is not choosing the type of paint that works best for you, your piece, and the finish that you're aiming to achieve. The reality is, when I was working with chalk paint and I was trying to make it look a certain kind of way, that just wasn't the proper type of paint for the looks that I was really trying to aim for. I wanted something more sleek, modern looking, and with a little bit more of a sheen. And in order to get chalk paint looking that way, It required more effort than was necessary, in my opinion. Instead, I should have spent the time I used up fiddling with the chalk paint and instead spent some time researching other types of paint to figure out which one would help get me that finish that I wanted without the effort. Eventually, I did figure that out and I opted for Fusion Mineral Paint, which 
if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, will come as no surprise to you that it is the paint that I choose for the majority of my pieces these days, both for my clients, my pieces that I sell online, and for my own home. Ultimately, it provides that sleek look with a bit of a sheen, and it has self-leveling properties, so it provides a great finish without having to do a bunch of fiddling to get it looking how I want it to. Their color selection is totally up my alley, and they are always releasing new color collections to keep up with the trends and to set themselves apart. And I really enjoy the packaging and the built-in acrylic resin top coat means that there's added durability in the paint. So if you have a piece that won't get a whole lot of wear and tear, in theory, you don't need to add a top coat after painting. Although to be on the safe side, I do always recommend adding one anyways. This is just the kind of paint that is my personal favorite and works for the style of pieces I typically lean towards. So if you found that you've been struggling to get the paint looking how you want it to on your furniture flips, maybe figuring out a different type of paint that will work well for your needs has to get added to your to-do list. If you want to give Fusion Mineral Paint a go, a reminder that you can always use my link to save 10% off of any products on their site using the link that I will add into the show notes of this episode, or you can grab it by going to www.meldidherself.ca slash favorites hashtag fusion. For those that have been living under a rock, the hashtag is the number sign, just in case I need to throw that out there. And something that you may not know about me, I love little motivational messages. They always get me fired up, and I keep a running list of ones that are especially catchy or speak to me in the notes app on my phone. So I end every podcast episode with one of those that I've noted down over the years so that you can leave our time here each week feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to take on whatever comes your way this week. So this week's Mel's motivational message is... Ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice, which is why it's so important to just jump in before you feel like you're ready, whether it is taking on a project, upcycling furniture, or some other home renovation or DIY project or craft or hobby that you've been interested in trying out. Because even if you don't know everything that goes into it, even if you need to learn and you're still new to these things, ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. You can be theoretically really prepared and know everything there is to know about something, but if you're not taking that action and actually trying it out and giving it a go, what difference is that going to bring into your life? You might be good at trivia, but you haven't actually taken on that thing or surmounted that goal that you've set for yourself. So in reality, you really haven't done anything. So take those chances, try out these new things that we may not feel super comfortable trying out yet because we don't know everything and we always feel like we need to know everything before we jump into these things, right? For whatever reason, we think it would be so dumb just to try something out and learn on the go and Google and ask questions to people who do these things. But that's really how we learn and that's how the learning really sticks because maybe you have a photographic memory or you're really good at remembering little tidbits that you read in passing. But I know that that's not how I learn best and how I can recall things longer term. It's being able to reflect back on those experiences, those lessons learned, those mistakes that I made and then learned from that are the things that are going to stick with me long term and keep me learning and evolving into whoever it is that I'm going to become in 1, 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. 
So my challenge to you would be if there's something that you've been taking in all the knowledge on, but you've been sitting on ice, find a way to ignite that fire and take that action today, no matter how small. Break the big thing down that you haven't been able to quite get yourself to do and break it down into smaller pieces. Sometimes that makes things so much more manageable when it's a bite-sized thing and not this big overarching thing. An example of this, which is really not even what we're talking about, but I've started breaking chores around the house down into like smaller things because if I look at my laundry and I see a big overflowing heap of laundry and I know that there's like three loads that I'm going to have to do, that can kind of feel overwhelming or like it's just going to take a long time and be a big part out of my day if I'm going to wash all those loads, dry all those loads, fold all of those loads, separate them all, put them away, fold them the way that I like them, which is like a little bit kind of perfectionist-y, whatever. I like the Marie Kondo style of folding, sue me. And so anyways, all of that can be like, okay, that's going to take hours, but now I just break it down and I'm like, okay, today I'm going to get all the laundry washed. Tomorrow I'll get all of the laundry folded and bring it upstairs. And on Wednesday, I'm going to put all the laundry away or whatever it might be. Maybe I'll do it all in one day, but I'm just going to break it down into those smaller, easier to digest pieces. And then I'll get started on it way quicker than like looking at it and being like, oh, do I really have to do all that? So if there's a big task that you've been looking at or something that you've wanted to try out, but you're feeling that like, ugh, like, I don't really want, like, it would be a lot of work, then take a step back, break it down into smaller things and just give it a go. Because even if you're not ready, that ignorance on fire is so much better than your knowledge sitting on ice, doing nothing. And again, this is how we grow and evolve. All right, that's it for now. Make sure you head over and grab that guide and checklist for starting a furniture refinishing business or side hustle. I appreciate your time and I will catch you guys next week.